in three, two, one. Ready to take the steps necessary to find balance and enhance your life? High achieving leaders, professionals and businesses can only make maximum impact without burning out when they have the qualified guidance and essential framework to optimize their lifestyle and wellness effectively. If you're looking for a step-by-step -step roadmap for getting optimized and unstuck, then you're going to enjoy my conversation with best-selling author, speaker, and high-level mentor, Dr. Tony Warner. Dr. Tony Warner, welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited about this topic. I've had a chance to read your book, The Reset, A High Achiever's Guide to Freedom and Fulfillment. And it's a really good step-by-step -step roadmap for getting unstuck. And a lot of us are getting stuck in today's marketplace. We just went through the pandemic. We've got economic issues we're dealing with. We're stuck as a country. We're stuck in our politics. We're stuck all over the place. So I think this applies. And I know you've developed this for professionals and entrepreneurs and business people, but it really worked. How did you arrive? I know you're a professional. You're a psychotherapist by education. You teach, you coach, you're an author. How did you arrive at the subject matter? So let's go back in time just a little bit. How did you get here from where you were? What pointed you in this direction? When I was younger, my mom is white, my dad is black. They're also both pastors and they are divorced pastors. So they divorced each other twice and <laughs> remarried. Twice? Wow. Yes, they did. Yes. They did. And, and it was good that they decided on that second time. It's my upbringing was such that I just didn't feel like I ever fit in a category. So I wasn't black enough. I wasn't white enough. I was overweight. I was a tomboy. So I wasn't girly enough. And I was often the new girl because since my parents were pastors, they moved to different churches. And even when they were together, they had separate places because they just had a different house with a different church. So I moved a lot. So I was often the new girl. I just, I couldn't find my place. Right. And so what I learned at a young age was that if I did for people, if I did really well or I gave a lot, if I overextended myself for other people, from a young age, I knew with those experiences that were framing my mental perspective was that I wanted to help people because I felt alone and no one could help me. And so I knew that was something I could do, something I could be really good at. I was really good at connecting with people. I was really good at helping people. And I just felt like no one was there to help me. So if I could be someone that helps someone, that would be the perfect fit for me. And I also knew that I wanted to be a mom. Those are two things that have been unchanged my entire life. Right. I've always known since I was a child, I wanted to professionally help people in a way that was deep and meaningful and look beyond the mask. And then I wanted to be a mom. Those were the two things always been there. And they're so embedded in me because of the experiences that I've had throughout life. And on your journey through education, you've had to change your life for the better as well. You've had to establish balance that actually works because as a mom, as a professional, you've tried different things. You've had multiple businesses as an owner. You're a practicing psychotherapist in Pennsylvania. You're speaking speaker, leadership coach, your consultant. So you get to do all of these things, but you also have gained your wisdom through experience, right? Your own experiences and stuff. Some good and some, well, I think all experience is good. It depends on how we apply it and what lessons we learned. What were some of the experiences that you had that were most meaningful to you at that time that maybe brought you to where you are today? They say, okay, this is going to be my work. 
how to truncate that, right? Because oh. I had so many experiences. You started off talking about how people get stuck and then you named all these different things people can get stuck in. You went from the individual and then you went macro level, right? So like our nation. And I experienced it in all of those levels. I experienced fear around racial issues when I was a kid. My mom in particular as a white woman with mixed kids often, I experienced really, let's just use the word upsetting because there's a bunch of words I could use to describe sure. that. And it is upsetting. Absolutely. At the least. And, and I also experienced a sense of weakness if I weren't the strong one. So the role that I perceived in my family was I needed to be the strong one. There was no space for my emotions. There was no space for me to quote unquote, like mess up kind of thing. I needed to be the strong one. That was just my perception and everyone has their own perception, but that's how I perceived it because I could tell that my family was hurting. I saw love preached in the church and then I saw hate carried out. It didn't make right. sense to me, right? I right. saw folks say that they weren't racist and then I saw hate carried out. Oh, your boyfriend's black. He's not allowed over around my house, right? So I saw and I heard one thing and then I felt and experienced something different. The way I grew up was very much so you keep your stuff inside and you just help everyone else. At a very young age, I developed depression, anxiety, bulimia. I was cutting myself. And that started in about fifth grade. So I was young. I have four kids right now. And my youngest is almost six months. Oldest is, is 13. Right. So I put that in context with me trying to put that in context now. Two out of my four kids are already at the age that I was at when I was struggling that much. And no one knew because I was really good at putting on the mask and hiding right. it. And so that was my experience, that internally just alone experience, even though I was a social butterfly, I was friends with everyone and I was wanting to do things for everyone. I was a great student. I was gifted. And so my experience was very contrasting and it was also very lonely because it wasn't mm -hmm. sharing with that. Mm -hmm. External you wasn't in alignment with the internal you. And so you weren't being authentic to what we were saying. And that happens a lot. A lot of people go through that. That's, I think, a relatable thing. I think this is why we have terms like imposter syndrome now and why a lot of men and women experience, but with women, we see it a lot. And the pressures that are on you, just the day-to-day -day things, even as a man, all the basic expectations, you're not supposed to cry. We're supposed to be manly. All the things that are expected of us and we behave in public one way, but behind the scenes, there's always something else going on. So that led eventually you got into, hey, I'm going to get into helping people. You brought the work there and you experienced things, which I think is a great way to make you a teacher. I think there's nothing better than somebody who's been through experiences to be able to teach those or coach through that because there's landmines and you know how to present it in a way to our psychology, if you will, so that we can understand it, grasp it and use frameworks to help ourselves. So what led you to reset? and the reset process. And what exactly is the reset process? That's an interesting story. And what I want to say is that the reset process itself was not intended. I didn't pre-plan that. I was someone who was overachieving, although I wouldn't have labeled myself that. So I had earned my PhD by the time I was 30, had my third baby by the time I was 30, owned my home, all that stuff. So I had achieved all my lofty goals. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And the reset was birthed out of my natural experiences that came after that, after I had achieved the plans goals. After I was like, I did the things, there was nothing else for me to do or prove. I had, what else can, I don't know. Like I had my whole list, it's done. What, what next? And so the reset, I knew I was always going to write books, but I didn't know I was going to write this book. And so the reset really is a guide to getting unstuck. That's truly what it is. And it's meant to be customized 
for you. So in it, what you're going to find are exercises, prompts, not me telling you what to do. I don't believe that me telling you what to do is effective. I do not believe in cookie cutter approaches. I do not believe there's one strategy fits all. There's one thing you do and then it fixes everything. I don't believe that. So I don't teach it. I don't preach it. And I don't try to live it either. I'm always evolving and trying to learn new things and deepen what does work for me. So that's what this book is going to do. It's going to take you on a journey that's custom to you. As long as you engage with it, you personalize it simply by doing some of the exercises that encourages you to engage in and see what comes up for you and be honest about what's coming up for you. So you don't don't look for that cookie cutter approach, right? It's not going to work. If we're talking about really diving into human biology, human psychology, human behavior to shift those things, we're just so all unique. So we need a unique approach. No, it's a good framework. You've got eight core concepts from cultivating joy, reality checks, missing link, all kinds of things. Lots of good details. Very practical. It's really like a good personal workbook and guidebook framework to do that. So I'm glad you wrote it. It was enjoyable too. It's one of those things you're just going to constantly work and use as a framework. I want to get into your redefined definition of success versus what is society's standard of success and why are so many people unhappy in today's world? That's funny. I was just writing about this right before I came on with you. I was just writing about it. So a lot of times we don't realize it. And I'll tell you, if you're anything like me, it can be a hard pot to swallow in the beginning. I didn't want it to seem like I was doing things a certain way or thinking things a certain way or living life a certain way because of someone else. I was very fiercely independent. So had you said this to me maybe a decade ago, I probably would have been like, okay, not that kind of thing. But here's what I have found to be true for myself and those that I support as well. We all have experiences in life. And through those experiences, we learn that There's a certain way we should be in order to be viewed as successful by someone else. And that someone else could be society. It could be a specific person. It could be a group of people. It's different for different people. But we don't want to fall short of that. Or, which was the case for me, people have seen us a certain way and we want to prove them wrong. Interesting. I know that one. And so that was very familiar for me, even though, again, I wouldn't have admitted (laughs) it back then. Yeah, those are bad motivators. But they're effective If you're looking at getting to milestones that are tangible and measurable, they are quantitatively measurable. You can say, oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to prove that person. I'm going to go get my degree. Example, I was 21 when I got pregnant. I was a single mom. Plenty of people thought I was going to drop out, even though I was an honor student. And I walked across that stage with her on my hip the very next year graduating, right? It was a sense of, I'm proud of myself. Yes. But if I was doing that just to prove someone else wrong, then the moment of pride would have lasted very briefly. Mm -hmm. After that, I'd be on to the next thing to prove. It's not fulfilling. It's not, oh, that warm, inspiring feeling inside of you. It just doesn't work. I had lived so much of my life trying to prove that I could fit in, trying to prove that, look, I'm of value. Yes. And so we need to redefine success by First, admitting that that's the case. So admit that your motivation, your intention is to do that. And like I say, I've been guilty of that as well. My parents were immigrants and they landed with a nickel, started jobs, always had worked. And it was like, we never had the nice stuff back when I was a kid. When it came out, we didn't always have those things. And then as soon as I could earn money, I had to have the car that everybody wanted. The car is going to make me cool or the motorcycle or the toy or the accolades or go get this. And it was all to go achieve things which was part of my driving force to make people who I don't even know or really even care about think I'm wonderful, you know, think I'm great, think I'm cool. And hey, you're in the club just to belong. 
but those were the motivations. And now I'm doing it more for me, like just because it's something I want to do and achieve. And, and it happens with age, doesn't it? It happens with maturity. We sort of get there. So is it something that works from a generational perspective? Are we seeing it from the different generations in your work? Do you see that same approach from baby boomers down to Gen X, Gen Y, millennials? So I'm not one to generalize, although I do think there's a time and a place for that. But I also think that's part of our part of a problem. Mm-hmm. So are there differences generation? Yes. However, I bring myself and my skills to the work that I do with folks. And I have clinically, I have worked with folks from young children all the way up until elderly in retirement. And it's me coming with my framework. And of course, it's custom to them, but it's relevant to them. It's relevant to them. It works for them. So yes, there's generational differences, but I mean, we're all still human, right? We can all still have these similarities in the background, these fundamental principles that if we can understand them better, we can still shift. It does not matter how old you are. You're never too old to shift if you're like, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want someone else's perception of me or what I think someone else's perception of me to keep being the motivator behind why I do what I do and why I don't do what I don't do. And I don't want that to be my barometer of success. But so often we want to deny that that's even part of the definition. And so how can we shift something if we're not willing to actually say what the something is? We need to be willing to look at it. Look at what definition of success really is. And when you peel back the layers, that's the first step of redefining success. No, that's excellent. I think that's an exercise absolutely worth doing because we all have a different definition of it. What it was for me in my 20s is different now that I'm older. For me, it's freedom at this point. Success for me is being able to do what I want, when I want, as much as I want to do it and have that freedom. So if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. And every day, I always assume every day might be my last one. Therefore, I'm making the best of this one. And you still fall off the wagon. Sometimes you still do things which are, oh, I really want that. That appeals to us. Or, man, would I ever look good in that? Or is that ever cool? And success, I think, is important because as we teach children as a mom of four, I'm a dad of seven. We want to teach them to achieve things. But again, if you're a successful mom or successful dad, that's what they see. And if they don't have that same path, maybe that's how they define success. So what is true success by your definition? If you were going to define it in a broad sense that applies to everybody, how would you define that? If I put it simply, it is a life well-lived moment to moment. If that's the simplest way I can put it, because a well-lived life moment to moment is going to look different for you and for me. It's also going to look different for me season to season. And so that gives me permission to say that what my best is today or the capacity that I have today, I'm just looking at that for today. It could be different tomorrow or next year, and that's okay too. You allow room for it. It offers space for grace. Yeah. And if we don't have that, then we are really beating up on ourselves internally. And that creates internal chronic stress, duress, which then has a negative impact on our mental health, which ripples out to our relationships and so on and so forth. Yeah. It becomes toxic. And you write about and talk about being in toxic relationships. You talk about burnout. You talk about overachieving. And it affects, permeates all aspects of our life, doesn't it? Sure does. So what would you teach your children if we were going to bring that down? And that was a nice, simple way to do that. It's really about have them maybe form their own definition of success, what that looks like. And so what can we be teaching that gives us good foundation to receive that? What I'm going to say might sound unrelated at first, but it's going to tie in. More importantly than being very specific about the definition of success when I speak with them is that my kids hear from me especially when I mess up, 
but that my kids hear from me that they are not responsible for managing my emotions. So if they do something that is a poor choice, I might feel upset, but they're not responsible for making me feel any differently. And nor are they responsible for how I handle my upsetness. That's right. It's on you. Right. But our kids need to hear that because kids developmentally, they do look to their parents to see how they're going to react to them. And that does mold partly their perception of the world. And then as they get older, then they look to their social groups and that molds it. It expands as they get older, but they are looking not consciously, but unconsciously. They are looking as they are developing at our reactions, at our responses to them. And so even if they can't put it into the words, if one of my kids makes a poor choice and now I'm angry, but I'm taking that anger out on them. Now that child could internalize as, oh, it's my fault. Oh, I need to be better. Oh, I need to be perfect. Oh, I'm never good enough. And the language that we use too, a poor choice is different than you're bad. I'm intentional about the language that I use. So this might sound unrelated, but it's very important because as our children get older, we have emotions, no matter what, we have emotions. We're a social and emotional species. That's really how we navigate the world. And it's also what helps us regulate within ourselves. If we don't learn that, If we don't learn that, then we will never really feel successful. We will keep chasing it. Or we will just feel some, unfortunately, some people just feel like, oh, I'm never going to be successful anyway. What's the point? And feel like you stop trying. Yeah, we never arrive. I like their correlation with the kids. I've been guilty of if the children do something that when they were younger, it was harebrained when you're losing your stuff and they blow up at them or do whatever. We just tell them we're mad at them or you you made me mad. We don't tell them and say, listen, you're not responsible for how I'm feeling. I don't like what you did but you're not responsible for me reacting. I own this one. We don't teach that piece of it, right? So we don't separate that. So that was a good insight. I think that's a good point to make. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Dr. Tony Warner. Your book, The Reset, was written for high achievers primarily, but what's the long-term cost of always hustling and pushing through and maintaining those high stress levels on our path to achieving more? Well, it's in the title, service levels in the title is you're not going to feel fulfilled. You're not going to feel free. So that's why this is a guide to feeling more free, feeling more fulfilled, getting you unstuck so you can experience that in your life. But beyond that, what we know, I mean, there's so much more to study about the brain. We've barely touched the surface, but we know so much more now than we knew even a decade or so ago. And what we know is that if we are in a place of chronic stress, most of our nation is just living in chronic stress without even really realizing it, then our nervous system, our brains, our bodies, they get used to living in that survival mode. And we're not made 
to live in that survival mode. And that is going to detract from our sense of joy. It's going to detract from our sense of being able to meaningfully connect. It's detracting from Mm. our depth in our relationships, in our depth of our faith, whatever your faith may be. And by faith in a sense of like, we are all connected in some way, life force connected in some way, and we all have purpose. I believe this. And so if we disconnect from that, Now we have permission to dehumanize. Now we have permission to treat someone else as inferior. It just opens up this division of us from others, or it's an us versus them. And again, this may seem unconnected, but it's not. Because if we are in a place of chronic distress, we're not able to really deeply, meaningfully, safely, and vulnerably And yes, I said safe and vulnerable to vulnerably connect in a way that feels safe, which so many people can't do to be vulnerable and feel safe in that. Do you know how much of our nation does not feel that whether it's because of their sex, whether it's because of their race, whether it's because of their religious affiliation, whatever the case may be. Right. And so automatically, boom, that puts a divide. And so if I'm stressed and there's a divide here, now the divide is bigger, it's larger, and I can't approach it with compassion. I can't approach it. My brain is not in that place of approaching it with inspired creativity. That's what we need. We need inspiration and creative solutions and safe connection within the vulnerability in order to move forward in a healthy way. But if we're in a place of chronic distress, it thwarts that. That's interesting. That's a very powerful insight, actually. And just light bulbs are going off for me as you explained it. I'm looking at when we're in acute distress or our sympathetic nervous system, I think is the what's responsible. Our amygdala, we're in fight or flight, right? We don't have time to reason. We're, we're engaged. We're using that energy and we're tapping that some inner hostility sometimes because we're angry. We're frustrated. We see it with our politics. We see it with the way things are run. We see it all day long. It's divide and conquer, right? And we get us focused on issues that aren't really those important issues. There's way more important things. We see the headlines every week. We've got the mass shootings that are going on and we become desensitized. So to your point, because we're in distress, it's, oh, hey, we just went through the pandemic and maybe you lost a bunch of people and we did whatever. I'm, I'm not even worried about that. I'm not even thinking about that unless it comes home to me, unless it's in my backyard, unless it's in, oh, at my school, because we turn it off. It's like the Ukraine conflict with Russia. We turn it off because it's not pleasant, but it's still there. It's underlying. It's that stress. We can't be human. And that's an interesting perspective because I've always wondered what happens to us when that happens. We become desensitized to human issues. And that's a very interesting perspective. So that was well said and and clearly done. How do you know when it's time for a reset? How do we know when it's time that, hey, we need to be looking at this on an individual basis? If more often than not, you are feeling like you're on autopilot, same thing day in, day out, but you're not really feeling fulfilled. If you feel trapped, that's a big one. If you feel trapped trapped. in your life or in your marriage, because you can feel burnt out, not just at work, despite what the media talks about. You can feel burnout in your marriage. You can feel burnout as a parent. Like you can feel burnout in these other areas of your life. If you feel any of those experiences, it's probably time for a reset. That means that you've gone further beyond, right? You can also though reset without feeling burnt out. You could just say, you know what? Things are really good. Life is really good and I'm ready for more. And that's what I call amplify, right? Maybe that'll be another book. We'll see. But you can still reset from a place of things are good, but I'm craving more. I just, I feel like it's lit up inside. There's something else. There's something there. It's hard to even put words to. It's just that spark that goes off because it's inspiring. You can reset from that place too. It's more of an amplification, but you can still use the process, right? If you're wanting to go beyond that way. 
Yeah, it's really about looking at it. And like we talked earlier, I literally look every week and go, how can I fine tune the week? And what's an ideal week? In other words, without looking at the week, what would make it perfect? Like absolutely perfect. Can I include my nutrition, my activity, my strength? How can I work on my relationships? What do I want to accomplish? Redesigning that week and taking control. And I'm lucky I've always worked for myself, so I get to do that. And there's chores and things I have to do. It's like everybody else has to hate to do it. But when possible, I delegate out to those people who love to do those things, let them excel at their own brand of excellence. So it's optimizing. And you actually have a formula for that. You have, let's walk through those. I think you call them the four key elements of self-optimization, how we optimize ourselves. Let's unpack that. If we're going to optimize, we need to start by first seeing the areas where we are feeling a sense of either disconnect or just wanting more right? Kind of what I was just saying, like how you know if you need a reset, right? Right. And then you can gain information, but you want to gain information intentionally. If we gain too much information, this is an information-heavy world that we live in, right? So then you can gain analysis paralysis. We don't want to do that. So we gain intentional information, and then we can start to integrate what is relevant. It's not so much as something that we're needing to think about. It's more like a natural process. So we as humans, I think often, especially in America, we want things to just happen or, oh, I did this and now I just want it to be done. Or there's this sense of if I could just do this and have this happen, then we're good and I can move forward. We want that checklist. We want that clear-cut strategy. But when it comes to really implementing and integrating a new way of being, which is really what we're talking about here, if we're wanting to reset or amplify new way of being, then that takes repetition and it takes elevated emotion. That's how we help our nervous system, our brain and our bodies. Elevated emotion. What do you mean by that? For example, trauma gets wired into our brain because there's such an elevated emotion that it puts our brain and our nervous system in a place of a fear, like it's it's under threat, right? right so it's right. wired in to keep it safe. And that actually creates like clusters in our brain and these neural networks, it's like a hard shell. Almost, and this is figuratively speaking, right? But it's sure. hard to get in there to help shift those neural networks because the trauma has encased it and said, oh, no, this is here to keep us safe. It's an elevated emotion, but in a way that some people would call negative. It's a fear-based elevated emotion to help rewire our nervous system and our brain to be in a place that feels safer, then we need to repeat, 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 whatever the action is that you want to repeat or the mental thought you want to repeat, connecting it with an elevated emotion that feels good with what some would call positive. Reassociated. Yes. And as we repeat, 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 while it's feeling good, this brings me joy. This feels satisfying. This just feels safer in that direction of it feels better and better and better. Now we're actually helping to rewire the brain. The thing people get tripped up about is they're like, I'm repeating the thing and it's not working. The elevated emotion with that is frustration. You're just reinforcing frustration. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now I'm doing the thing, I'm putting in the effort and it's not getting me the results that I want in the time that I want. So now I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm frustrated with somebody else. Maybe I'm frustrated with myself, but the elevated emotion is not a positive one. So we're not moving it in the direction that we want it to move in, which is often missed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well said. When we're resetting on personal levels, like you said, people are maybe in jobs that are mundane, or maybe they feel like they're on the treadmill, right? Or even in their family relationships or the kids, it can be tough. Like being a mom and a dad is tough. You've got fundraisers to be at, sporting events to be at, things to do. Kids want to do this, kids want to do that. Lots of pressure on them. Just keeping them alive and safe is a full-time 
responsibility. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater when we reset, do we? It's really a frame of mind and reassociating what our objectives are. As you've outlined, we can reset why we're looking at it, our motivations. You said an interesting term earlier. We talk about our the doing this, the, our day-to-day activities. And what happens is often we live in a world which there's that do have be concept. If I get a job, go to school, get a degree, I'm going to get a nice job. I'm going to have a nice house. I'll have a nice car. I'll be respected in the community. I'm going to have all of those things that come with that, all those trophies, all those rewards. And I'll be this thing called happy, or I'll be this thing called successful. And I've always thought we should invert that model, declare what it is we want to be, and then let our doingness come out of the state of beingness. What's our state of being? I want to be peaceful. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want to be enthusiastic. I want to be accepting. Whatever it is, let the day-to-day activities stem from the place of being and not worry about the have. There's an equal sign in front of have. If we do those things, have will just show up. Have is just part of it. Is that what you're saying? I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. It's very simple and clear and easy to understand. The reset would support that as well. And the reset will walk you through. So when we talk about, but how do I be, Michael? Like, right. how do I be, right? How do what, I figure what, that what out? What should I be? Right? What should I be? What should I, who should I be? And then we go back out. What are they doing? They look successful. Maybe I should look inside of ourselves and say, who do I want to be in this life that I'm living? And how do I want to be showing up within this life I'm living? That's the core values, right? And getting clear on your core values, which is different than what you value in life, which people also get mixed up. Right. And I don't hear this talked about anywhere. I haven't heard anyone else talk about this. I hear people talking about values, but what you value in life is different than how you value being and showing up at your core Those are different things. And if we can get clear on that, now we can do that more intentionally. And start each day that way. I always start my day asking five basic questions. I start with, what am I grateful for today? These are the first thoughts of my day. And then I answer the question, what do I want to accomplish today? What relationships will I work on today to improve? What do I want to learn today? Any of those types of variables, that reboots my system on a daily basis, right? Because now I'm coming from a place of gratitude. Just being awake, my age, where you wake up and you can pinch yourself, and you're going, hey, I'm here. Woohoo, this is all good. So it's really about setting that up on a daily basis and facing another day. I just finished reading a book about a Navy SEAL commander, and the Navy SEALs have a saying in the Navy SEALs that the only easy day was yesterday. And that's one of their slogans, if you will. And I thought, that's true. If I think I got 30 more years of this, it becomes daunting. You're thinking, oh man, how can I do this? Can I endure it? But if I look at it and go, hey, I got today. And today's my day and I'm going to work on today. And I'm going to start with my own frame of mind because that I get to control. There's a lot of things you can do to me, but you can't control my thinking or my brain, right? So that's mine. I think it's important we build habits that are reinforcing our confidence and towards our objectives and our goals. And like I say, I think your system, could you talk about that when core concept number one is getting motivated in the book, core concept number two is how do we enhance the motivation and, and so forth. So it's all about creating that change and what tools do we need? So when we try to create change. Tony, why is it important to identify not only what we want, but also what we don't want? It's an important place to have an awareness of in the beginning. You don't want to stay there because that's what a lot of people do. So you stay there, you look at the point, you complain about it, or you try to control it, even though you can't control it. So you want to know what it is that is bothering you, what it is that you don't like, so that you can get more clear on what you do want what you would prefer. And the reason for that is now, once you've become more clear on that, you can turn your focus in that direction. How can I feel more of that right now? So if you're burnt out and you want to feel, maybe all you can start with is, I just want to feel less burnt out. 
Okay, we do need to break that down because that's not giving you much clarity. I feel burnout. I want to feel less burnout. Okay, what, what does that? less burnout look like? I don't know. And let's break down. Where are you feeling burnt out? How do you know you're burnt out? That's going to help us get an idea of where you want to shift how you're feeling. That's giving us a starting place so that we can then decide. You're going to redecide and redecide. It's going to change, but it's at least giving you an option to decide. All right, now at least I'm a little bit more clear of what I would like to feel, of what I would like to do differently, or of how I would like to be differently in some of these situations, what we were just talking about, right? So now you have a little bit of a clearer picture, a little bit of a a less elusive target, so to speak, a little bit more, I'm using air quotes, control, right? Because often the negative stuff, we just don't have control over it. It's other people or other situations or really challenging things or a pandemic. Like we can't control that. So what is it that's really hunkering us down about that? And as we break that down, now we can flip that and say, okay, this is actually how I want to feel more of, or this is actually what I, what I want to do more of. And just start there, incremental, incremental. Right. And that can feel in the beginning like it's not enough, but every bit of moving in that direction, of looking in that direction, of refocusing in that direction, practicing looking in that direction even, just practicing shifting your focus from the what I don't want to what I do want, just that practice. Oh, I don't want that. Okay. But I do want to experience a little bit more compassion for myself right now. That self-care, that self-love is I think an important part because we do get busy. you got all these strings being pulled. You're being a mom, you're probably getting breakfast ready for the kids. You're getting things ready for school. You have to do this. You've got to get ready yourself. And there's just lots of things pulling us in different directions. So it's a challenge out there. We all face it from time to time. So is there a way that you recommend for rejuvenating for getting unstuck? I know you talk about scheduling, for instance, we can alleviate stress and anxiety through proper effective scheduling. There's lots of tools in order to help us do that. I don't like clutter. If I see clutter, I get stressed out and it makes me anxious. And so I like things organized. My wife was a big fan of Marie Kondo and we've condoed <laughs> everything in our life, right? Our home, our business, everything's got its place and it really does bring you joy. So if it doesn't bring us joy, we don't do it, right? You call it cultivating joy in chapter seven of your book, but it's making it a perfect day. What's a perfect day look like, which is never going to be perfect, never goes according to plan, but it's being able to roll with those punches and then rejuvenate and take time. Do you have any secrets as far as rejuvenating and maybe hitting that reset button on a daily basis? Are there some activities that you do that help with that? Yeah. To build off of what you were saying earlier, that how you have a way of how you start your morning, right? Now this, what I'm about to say, doesn't have to be in the morning. I do recommend it to do in the morning because it's starting your day, like you said, but you can also do it at the end of your day, bookend your day with it. You could do it both. But I have what's called my purposeful living scheduler or my intentional scheduler. I've called it both over the years. And it's something that has evolved with me. Actually, I have a free template that I can share with you if you have a place to put links. Yeah, let's put it in the show notes. That's terrific. They can download their intentional scheduler. And what that's going to do is it's actually going to break down for you the areas where you want to focus, the values that you want to be reminded of for that day. It's going to have a section where you can be like, where am I going to show up for myself physically, mentally, emotionally? How do I want to experience these different parts of my day? But it's in a very clean, clear cut way. One pager plus additional pages if you want to take notes or if you do like journaling or reflecting, right? I start my day with it. And if I don't, I can feel the difference. Yeah, night and day. Yeah, you really do. You get in that habit. It brings clarity to your day. And we get super bombarded by so many bits of information. That clarity is important. And you realize what's the most important things I can be doing. Let me ask you this last question. As someone who coaches others on finding more freedom and fulfillment in their lives, what's one of the personal favorite daily habits that you incorporate? 
or that you see or that a lot of your clients do? So I do me time in the morning. And as a mom of four, so my kids are generally early risers. So we don't need to do a nighttime curfew. I do do a morning curfew, right? Can't come downstairs before seven. That's my time. And previous me, maybe say six years ago, would have felt that was selfish. But your mom, right? You should always be available, right? But what I tell them and what is true, what I also tell myself is when I have that time to take care of myself in the morning, I'm able to be better mom for them. That's right. You're putting your oxygen mask on first. And it makes, it really does make a difference because there are those days, maybe there's a sick kid or whatever the case is where that me time doesn't happen for this, that, or the other. And maybe I choose to sleep in. There's a trade-off. Maybe I choose to sleep in later rather than wake up at four or 5 a.m. And that's fine too, right? I have to make that choice and I get to make that choice, right? Yeah. But generally speaking, I take that me time and I do whatever it is that I need or want to do to take care of myself, to support myself, to dive deep, whatever that is. And I feel better prepared for the day and all the roles that I fill within it. Excellent. That's good advice. Good strategy as well. So I think like I say is with it's resetting, taking time to reset, it's being intentional interactions. So you say in the last part of your book, your quality of life is dictated much less by what you're doing and much more by why you're doing it. Well said. You've got some really good gems in there and the insights you shared with our listeners today, I think are important as well. A question I always like to ask our guests, this is a chance for you to get to brag here a little bit, is if you had a superpower, something that maybe we don't know about you, but something you're amazing at, you can brag here. What are you amazing at? What are you really good at? It's funny. I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, when it comes to me being like really succinct of getting my words out or getting written or verbally, I want to share something. It can be challenging for me to do. But when I sit down with someone else, especially in the psychotherapy chair with one of my clients, typically they have not feel that seen or that heard in how succinct and clearly I can share back what I'm hearing from them. Reflect back to them. Right. Because they haven't had that in their lives before, or just not quite in that way, or they've been trying to put words to it or emotion to it. And it was just evading them. And so I'm just really good at sitting down, not just hearing your words, but hearing the underneath and helping to share that back so that you can deepen your understanding and awareness with it. And then we can work with it in a more profound way. No, that's interesting. And one of the areas that you focus on and you actually teach, and we didn't talk about this, but I think it's important is why you believe that not fitting in can actually be an asset, right? Those are important. And so it's okay to be yourself in your uniqueness and we should celebrate that. So we know that's your superpower to be able to listen and reflect back and show understanding and validate. If you had a kryptonite, if you had something that, like for me, it's detail. I have no problem telling. I have people who are just expert at detail, i.e. Marie Kondo, in my life to look after all those details. What would be an Achilles heel for you? What would be an area that, this is an area I got to keep working at for me? Oh man, you got to ask just my husband one, Just question. one, just one. I got to ask my husband that question. I think that in, oh man, I'll say this in context, okay? Sure. My husband is much better at forgiving and apologizing than I am. And so that is an area where I think I can always continue to learn and to grow for sure. So as a single mom first, as I shared, it's one thing to parent on your own. It's another thing to share in that parenting with someone 
especially when I have so many decades of experience in human behavior and child development. So oftentimes, honestly, I think I know what I'm talking about. You're exactly. And that's <laughs> and what your brain works. Right? I know this because I can relate to this 100%. I'm really good at apologizing. My wife always says it this way. She goes, I hate to do anything that I even have to apologize for it. And the first apology usually is, fine, I'm sorry. And I'm going, oh, no, no, that one doesn't work. And a couple of hours later, it might be, Mike, I'm sorry. I'm, I really am sorry about it. And that one's a good one. That one will always take, and it always transforms me. I'm pretty good at it just because I usually screw up more often than not. So it's usually not me. So, but I totally get that hundred percent. Thanks for sharing that. I, so it's fun. People think what we do in our world, we write, we speak, when lives are perfect. They're not. And we cry, we shed tears, we get frustrated, we get mad, we get road rage. We get all of the emotions. We experience it all. We just have tools in order to manage them. And, and you've shared some really good tools with that as we feel overload and we get where the thresholds are a little high for us and we're feeling a lot of stress, maybe it's time for a reset. People can find you as far as the book goes. We'll have everything in your show notes. The book is called The Reset, A High Achiever's Guide to Freedom and Fulfillment. They can get it on Amazon or wherever they buy books. Mm -hmm. And they can reach out to you on your website. What's the best website to find you? You'll be able to find me at drtonywarner.com. Awesome. We'll make sure we get all that information in the show notes. Hey, Dr. Tony, thanks for being our guest. This was lots of fun. It was a pleasure meeting you. And thanks for sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.